Hello and welcome. It's the Filmmakers Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to f it up. In our very, very humble opinion, and they are released onto wherever you get your podcasts every Tuesday. Today we're talking about how to write, produce, direct, and edit. An award-winning indie film. In this case, fear, love, and agoraphobia, starring debut actors on the big screen. I am Giles Alderson, producer of the horror comedy *A Serial Killer's Guide to Life*, director of the vampire documentary *World of Darkness*, and director and co-writer of the psychological horror feature film *The Dare*, the vegan documentary, and a new TV pilot. I am in prep for. Did you know? That a good producer is able to create an effective marketing. It just sounds like I was just reading it, right? Didn't it? <laughs> Let's see if I can read this now. Did you know that a good producer is able to create an effective marketing and PR plan specific to any particular film? Are you aware that if you get a film budget wrong, your film will stall half finished without cash? Have you started thinking about clearing, acquiring, and protecting film rights as health insurance for filmmakers? These are all things that a good producer is aware of, and that you will learn if you get a Producer Foundation certificate from our friends at Raindance. Starts Thursday, the 10th of July, 6:30 at the Raindance Film Training Centre. It's a five-week evening course. It'll help you develop the skills you need. To produce a feature film, finding the scripts, sourcing the money, to submitting to film festivals, and what about distribution? You get that as well, and you can get all this at 20% off when booking with our excellent discount code. That's right, we're the Filmmakers Podcast. No one else in the world gets this discount code. It's RD Podcast 20. The link is in the show notes. Go there, become a better producer, become a better filmmaker. Rain Dance is amazing. They help all filmmakers, and we're helping you with twenty percent off. Okay, good. I think I read that well enough. So our segment called the Indie Filmmakers Shoutouts is to support indie filmmakers like ourselves, and we want to start shouting about screenings and kickstarters, etc., etc. You've heard it before on the uh, the last five or six podcasts. If you've got any you want to send us, if you want us to talk or shout about any of these um, screenings, whatever you've got. Uh, get in touch with me at Giles Alderson at Filmmakers Pod on Twitter on our Facebook and let us know so this week's shout outs go to Carla Guy of my indie film fame she um, sent me a message about her new film Tales from a Fat City that she's just launched on Indiegogo and she wants to get the word out so this logline is an overweight girl since childhood wanting to be a supermodel singer takes a job at a singing telegram shop in hopes of being discovered it's a comedic autobiographical, autobiographical, auto, autobiographical uh, tale of fat shaming, bullying, and social consciousness, told in a light-hearted way and squeezed into one fat, funny film, written by two funny female comedians, Carla Guy and Kathy Byron. If it's up your street, donate to their Indiegogo campaign or head to talesfromafatseat.com. Also, Ben Thompson at awesomeo underscore Ben on Twitter started Indiegogo for his sci-fi short The Ghost of Me and You, which is about a girl called Tara who finds a device which sends her into a parallel world where she meets her other self. But this Tara is in need of help from her abusive husband and she must rescue her from devastation and inspire her to fight back. But how will this affect her actual life? Find out by contributing. (laughs) 
Uh, links of both these films are in the show notes. And like I say, with both these projects and all the other projects I mentioned, and I say this always, if nothing else, follow them and retweet them on Facebook, however it is, just support in any way you can if you can't donate or contribute. Yes, brilliant. Um, okay, subscribe to us on iTunes uh, or listen to us on Podbean, SoundCloud, or as we're now part of the brilliant guys at the Podfix Network. You can find us there. Uh, the other shows on the Podfix... Pod, I can't say it. Other shows on the Podfix Network include Who Spiked the Puns, More Good of That, The Fan Film Boys, and the brilliant Loot Quest RPG podcast, to name a few. If you love your podcast, then get over to the thepodfixnetwork.com and get listening. Oh, yeah, and do keep spreading the word about this podcast. If you like us, tell your mates who might be interested in how to make feature films. We really do love all your support and we really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. So thank you. You. I'm talking to you. This is a one-on-one chat right now. Hi, I'm in your head. <laughs> Went a bit weird. Sorry about that. Couldn't help it. Right. Joining us today to talk about filmmaking and his new film, Fear, Love and Agoraphobia, is Alexander Delerma. Now, Alex is a writer, producer and director. He created his own production company, Testano Productions, in 2003 and made his screenwriting and directing debut with the feature film Alvarez and Cruz. He's also the founder of the LA-based acting and directing studio, The Cinema Gym. And he also taught film studies and directing at UCLA Extension for over a decade. Alex's directing and writing credits include the feature films Alvarez and Cruz, which um, which was nominated at Slam Dunk Film Festival, and Born, which Lionsgate picked up, which he wrote. In addition, Alex has written and directed multiple prize-winning short films and web series, including You Solve, God's Little Monster, Sell Out, Strip Poker, and Meat to name a few. Alex DeLerma's current feature film, Fear, Love and Agoraphobia, has won 20 film festival awards and is released on iTunes and available on DVD on Amazon now. So, without further ado, I'm going to jump straight into my interview with Alex DeLerma. I hope you enjoy this one. It's a cracker. So, Alex, welcome to the Filmmakers Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And, and so far, uh, all the interviews I've been doing have been uh, the, the U.S. and Canada, and this is the first U.K. interview, so I'm very excited. Oh, well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you. As you know, this podcast is all about helping independent filmmakers or filmmakers in general get off their asses, make the first film, or the harder part, carry on making films. It's, it's really nice that we could um, connect both as filmmakers, and we're both on the same journey and same path both trying to make films and, and are making films. It's great, right? I, I <laughs> Yesterday, I'm embarrassed to admit this, uh, but uh, what the hell. <laughs> yesterday, I had this uh, on-camera interview in North Hollywood, and there was a network affiliate connected to it. And so it was kind of a cool thing for a, an independent feature film. Um, mm. I was just really feeling good about it. You know? Yeah. And and I, I left the on-camera interview feeling on top of the world, like wow, you know, our our very modestly budgeted feature is becoming this indie sensation, and you know, it's 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 great. And I felt like this is like this is this is it. I'm living the dream. This mm. is great. So yeah. I walk the street to a restaurant. Nobody's there. There's you know the one waiter, 
I start to have some, uh, I, I treat myself to a really good, uh, uh, Mexican breakfast and, um, and then a tortilla chip, uh, which I inhaled instead of chewed with some, <laughs> it, it gets stuck in my throat. Oh, wow. Oh no. And it literally was a moment where I can tell, holy crap, like this is serious, but it's also very funny that I just had this attitude of, hey, I'm on top of the world. And this is, life is good. And, <laughs> and, and all of a sudden things can just literally change. Literally life could end right now. And for probably, you know, four minutes I was uh, choking and, and all oh of it, my, my face turned a color I've never seen. And I, I went to the restroom and I'm, I'm, I wound up giving myself a Heimlich maneuver as well as trying to regurgitate. Oh my this gosh. <laughs> that is so scary. You must, it's frightening. Frightening. It was, it was terrifying because I've heard of that happening, but it's never happened to me. And I had my phone right next to me and uh, I want to be polite, but the, uh, the, the, the <laughs> server who is in the restaurant, he barely had half a brain. <laughs> action and i'm like there's no way this guy is going to save me i have to save me mm. and uh uh and but i had the phone ready to dial our emergency number and to walk out and point at it but at at at, at the last moment i i got it out the chip came out and um oh. and, 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 just, you're, and you're here to tell the story i'm here to tell the story that chase your dream brothers and sisters, because, uh, you any, know, any day it could end and, and any, a tortilla chip could end. Could end it. And instead of being the director who made fear, love and agoraphobia being known for that, you might have been known as tortilla boy, you know? <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's, that's a lovely story. It's a lovely yeah. story to kick this yeah. off. With this filmmaking. But do you know what? That is really interesting. You say that because things can change. You can suddenly be making a film. You can suddenly lose all the money. Things can go wrong on a film set and in life. And it is really important to enjoy every day and sort of go, do you know what? Yeah, things are all right at the moment. I should embrace this and enjoy it and help others if I can. And if, like you say, if that um, attendant had been any good, he might have been able to help you. As it was, you helped yourself. <laughs> no, that, that's the message, isn't it? And we, uh, we all have to, uh, we all bitch and moan about our, uh, how terrible our lives are, but uh, it, it really can't be that bad if you're breathing and above ground. Totally agree. Yeah, breathing and above ground. Absolutely. And chasing your dream. Chasing your dream. It's a joy to be a filmmaker. And speaking of which, right, so you you started off, well, you still are an actor, but that was how your, your journey into filmmaking happened. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, 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 pretty much. Even before that, I started in, in, in radio. And, mm. uh, and when I started in radio in my very small hometown, uh, we still used reel-to-reel uh, tape decks to record phone calls and contest winners and all that sort of stuff. And I learned to edit with a razor blade and a grease pencil wow. uh, on reel-to-reel tape in my hometown. So my introduction to show business and entertainment business was as a 17-year-old kid on the radio. And then Many years into the future, when I was forced to edit my first 
feature film, Alvarez and Cruz, mm. I had no intention of directing, editing, writing, none of it. Wow, it really? Big, yeah, I, I had hired uh, a close friend to, to direct my first feature film, and it just didn't work out. He, he sort of got overwhelmed by things, and by default, I just had to take over. And then when it came to the editing, uh, I, I'm like, what am I going to do? And I thought, wait a minute, the, the principle is still the same of how I used to edit uh, phone callers and contest winners on reel-to-reel -reel tape. But now I'm doing it digitally instead of with a grease pencil and a razor blade. Yeah. So it all started back uh, when I think it started when, when I was in uh, high school, when I was a senior in high school doing a little radio show in my hometown. There you go. Wow, what a great, um, what a kind of great introduction. So sometimes when you're forced into it, and it's similar thing happened to me with the first project I ever directed. It, it was it's something we'd we'd written. Um, the BBC were interested in it, and they said go do a pilot, and the director couldn't do it. And I went, okay, well I've directed plays, and uh, you know I'm in it, but I'll be able to direct it. And it was one of the best things I've ever done in terms of emotionally about wanting to be a director and a filmmaker. Was, was directing this pilot, and it was just wonderful. And it was the same thing, we were sort of forced into it. I what say was forced. That, what, was that, uh, what was that first project? Oh, well, that was called Barry Brown. It never actually uh, got a green light, but ah. what it did do was made me, like I say, fall in love with filmmaking and directing and say, okay, maybe I, acting's the wrong path for me. Maybe ah. this is it. And it took quite a while to go from you know acting full-time to directing full-time just because you can't do it overnight you can't suddenly go right i'm a director now not unless you're a big actor and you you know your, your name carries some weight uh, and even then people don't want to take a chance on you directing something did you know right away when you were done directing that first thing did you know in your in your heart uh that you just got bitten by something that that you loved even more than acting yes yeah it was it was almost instantaneous it was like i have to do this as a job i have to do this or, or you know not even paid i have to do this it just hit me like a ton of bricks it was like wow why haven't i done this before why have i waited so long to get behind the camera and do it it, it was just mind-blowing incredible moment for me and it just changed my life at that point it like i say i couldn't then become a director i had to really work at it and learn and make really crappy corporates and music videos and whatever to learn and understand cameras and understand everything um but yeah it's it's, it's a sort of similar story to yourself really um, and, and isn't, isn't it amazing to think that if you hadn't if if you if the person who was originally supposed to direct you that first project and come through. Mm. Do you do you think you would have found your way into directing eventually, regardless? Yes, or I do. I think I would have. There was some. There was just, yeah. I think I would have started to direct the comedy sketches we were doing or something. But but maybe I wouldn't have fallen in love as much as I did on that project because it was quite big. You know, we had a big red camera, a great DOP. You know, some big actors doing it, and yeah. I, I don't know. It, you're right. Maybe if it hadn't have happened that way, I might not have had the bug as much as I did. I wouldn't have been bitten as hard. That's yeah. That, that's really interesting. You know, and that's that's interesting. I I don't know that I ever would have done it. I I tend to I tend to perform really well under under pressure and obligation to others, mm. whether it's a tortilla chip or. <laughs> 
bunch of people who are, are, are waiting, like, okay, we're here to shoot this thing, and you said we're going to make this film on 16 millimeter, and, uh, you know, but yeah. it's, it's like, here, that's like, oh, that's a real movie. At that time, that was, you know, my partner said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you half the budget for this movie, but I want it to be on actual film. Let's make a real, you know, in his oh, words, okay. real. <laughs> I said, you're crazy. Yeah, you're crazy. Why? Why? That's crazy. But, and, and that was Alvarez and Cruz, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So talk us through this because you wrote it. You wrote it yourself to, to act in. Um, and then, like say, you took over directing and producing, and then ended up editing it. What was, if you'd known how difficult it would be? <laughs> let's start with that. If you'd known how much work and time and effort that I know you've put into that film, would you have still done it? No. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Because I, after I did that film, which was co-produced and co-written and mm-hmm. co-starred uh, with with one of my best friends, his name is Vince Lozano, and yeah, he's a working actor. Uh, probably his biggest credit was the first uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. But wow. he, mm-hmm. yeah, he still works. Uh, he works a lot of TV and and. Uh, He's produced multiple independent films. He just finished um, producing and acting. Uh, we both acted in, in his latest film, Acts of Desperation, with uh, American character actors uh, Paul Sorvino, of course, yeah, and uh, and and um, and Jason Gedrick. But anyway, nice. and yeah. he's and he's in your uh, fear of an agoraphobia as well. He's he's one of the he's stars always, of that. Yeah, it's, Vince is always in in everything I do. Uh, he's a very talented actor and and one of my 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 best friends. But he actually was um, the story of our first feature was uh, we were we were playing some basketball. We were doing a play at the time, the play that wouldn't end. I think it lasted a year and a half, which in Los Angeles is a long time. In New York, it's nothing, but in LA. You know, one month is normal. Yeah, and the, the play obviously didn't end. So, you know, st- still going on somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But we were playing basketball, and uh, I told him my, my plans that I was riding a, um, a vehicle for myself as an actor, a starring vehicle, and that I was just going to do it because I'd had uh, funds from commercials and radio, and, and I was doing good. Cool, good. My idea, and he said, uh, "I'll give you half the budget, uh, but but we have to do it together, and and uh, it has to be uh, not on video; it has to be on film." So I said, "Yeah, um, let's do it." And I said, "And I I got another friend who can direct and edit it," and he, you know, and so that's how it all all took place. But after that, to answer your question, would I have done it knowing you know what I knew? Uh, after we did that movie, I um, fell in love, as you did, mm-hmm. with and then I thought, I need to get some serious training. And I took some classes. And as I sat there and was learning, uh, and the instructor was sharing all of the details that go into producing and directing and writing an independent film, and I, I was listening, thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, I remember how to do that. We had to do that ourselves, and we had to do that ourselves. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, this is overwhelming. Had I just taken a class first, <laughs> sat here, listened to all this nonsense, I, 
I can't do that. I don't. I'm not technically minded. This is. I can direct a play. I can't direct a movie. This is crazy. Uh, so I'm glad that that ignorance. Uh, I was ignorant and just dove in and and. Uh, it's the best way, you know. I I say this, and I've interviewed a lot of filmmakers, and the same thing. Ignorance is key. The fact that they didn't know what they were getting themselves into and was suddenly the best thing that ever happened because they were yeah. going, well, I don't know, let's put the camera there. I don't know, let's use this actor. I don't know, let's use my mate's house that he's got. All those things that knowing what you know and how much things can mess up someone's house potentially when filming there, you wouldn't have done them. And that ignorance yeah. and that sort of just bon viveur, that self-belief of going, sod it, I'm just going to go, I'm going to do this. Just, all right, let's see what happens. And you said, yeah. And at the end of it, you go, oh my God, that was so hard, but I've got a feature film. And sometimes you've just got to kick the bucket. You've just got to go, the, the people out there who haven't made a film yet and are going, okay, I'm listening to this, but, I, I, you know, it's so hard. Yes, it's hard, but sod it. Go make it. Go do it. And, and yeah. what was the, what, obviously when you're, you're shooting Alvarez and Cruz, were you thinking even at the time, okay, this is going to do well and I'm going to carry on being a director, uh, producer? Or was it just something you thought, I'm doing this to further my acting career and uh, I'm not that interested? I, I honestly, I, I had to edit the film myself. And when I, when I edited the film, I discovered two things. Mm. I discovered that, um, that... You need more a- coverage? <laughs> <laughs> No, that I should never. I should never direct a movie and be the starring actor because one yeah. stars because what happened was my attention was split between directing and producing and acting, and I could see I could watch myself at, in the in the editing bay, and I could see myself in the scene thinking about. I, I would watch a scene and go, oh. I'm thinking about right now that we're going to lose this location. <laughs> and I don't have too many more takes, and this other actor better remember his lines. Um, and it just it, it diminishes your abilities because you right. you've got to wear too many hats. The same thing for me on Barry Brown. I hated that moment when I had to turn the camera on me and say, okay, close upon me, action. It was embarrassing. I felt ridiculous. And my performance suffered. I'm dreadful in it. I'm dreadful. Because I'm so worried about, you know, everything else. Right. Your head is not, you're not in the moment. You're not Mm. truly present and taking in the imaginary circumstances. You're juggling that with, I got to feed these people in 30 minutes. Absolutely, yeah. Or, or there's a, a tow truck coming any minute to take all our stuff away unless we get this shot. The sunlight's coming through the window and we're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, your performance goes out the window. I don't know how Ben Affleck does it. Um, John, John um, Kravinsky is a perfect example with his latest uh, A Quiet Place. How he managed to pull that film off from directing it. I mean, amazing. Amazing. It's amazing. I mean, okay, the level is different. They do have amazing teams around them and a little bit more access to things. So it does change um, the setup a little bit. But it's it's still the same principle. There's still people in a room making a film. Right. Um, Absolutely. So it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, This is the synopsis I'm going to read out. Tell me if it's wrong. And then we'll play the trailer as well. Uh, Chet is a 28-year-old agoraphobic man. Basically, agoraphobia, if you don't know, has, it means a fear of being outside. And he still lives with his mother. 
When mum moves away, Chet has to get a roommate. This is Maggie, and she's a volatile female marine with her own personal issues. The two become emotionally entangled as they struggle to escape from their self-made prisons. Sound about right? Yeah, that's about it. Shall I play the trailer? Sure, go for it. Hi, Chet. Dr. Green here. I think we really need to address your agoraphobia as well as this new issue. Chet! I thought that was you, man. (laughs) Does this affect your ability to have an erection? Don't talk about my penis. Oh, no. Why not? I used to clean it and used to pee on me when I would would change you. Oh, well, you did. I don't think you should come see me anymore. I'm not getting out of here. You are. You're my man. It must be tough knowing your old man is taking it up the air. I am done. Caring. Do you understand? Throw her out of here. You sure you want to live with a agoraphobic, environmentally obsessive weirdo? I'm in. You smell that? It smells like a <laughs> fart. Hey, how long were you in Iraq? I did two tours. Look, you look like a robot. Just relax. Relax. My first panic attack. I don't want to breathe out here. Are you kidding me? Stop. Pull Please, over. Pull killed? over. Come on. Pull- what the f- you want to get us both killed? I think I love you. I miss the girl that I missed that I should have kissed. Like in some sad movie. Cool. Uh, the trailer just looks wonderful. You know, you've really done a great job on that. Um, your, your film stars, you've got Dustin Coffey and Linda, I want to pronounce this right, Buzinski. Perfect. Yes. It's their big screen debuts, which is amazing achievement that you got this performance out of uh, two people who is their big screen debuts. Fantastic. They've won multiple awards, best actor awards for this film since. Um, also joining in the cast is Laurie Petty who most of you will know from Point Break and recently Orange is the New Black. And she won a Best Supporting Actress Award as well um, for the role of Francis. Also starring is Mark Adair Rios and Ed Aristone and obviously your uh, cohort and uh, collaborator many times, Vince Lozano. Um, Yeah, this is is such a cool little film. Let's talk about it. So um, how did you come up with the idea in the first place? What, What was it about this? Uh, actually, uh, Dustin Coffey, who plays the agoraphobic man, Chet, yes, he came to me with a script that he wrote and he wanted me to direct it. And I read it and I said, congratulations on writing your first script. Mm-hmm, because it's hard. It's not easy to write a script. It's absolutely a huge accomplishment. Right. I said, you don't have enough money. You don't have a script that I'm interested in directing. And uh, you you will not be able to have a name actor attached to it, which I've learned then makes it almost an impossibility to get your film distributed unless you are you, you, there are exceptions to that rule, you know, that your film has some topical social message or it's it's got a gimmick of it was completely shot on an iphone you know which which Mm. there there are there are ways you could you know if you don't have a name actor but it's unfortunate that independent filmmaking has really um gotten to that point where if you don't have a name actor it's very very difficult to get programmed into you know uh certain 
festivals that get coverage and all that. You know about this. Yeah, absolutely. So I said, no. I said, but I really want to work with you. He had been, he is, he was and is my um, acting student. I've been his acting coach for 10 years. I see. Okay. He was doing television and had de- television roles. Um, Ray but, Donovan is in uh, American Horror Story. There's some nice TV, Two Broke Girls. Yeah. Exactly. But he wasn't able to break into his first film and being the uh, savvy and smart actor that he is, he's like, I'm I'm going to write my own film. Same thing I did with Alvarez and Cruz, right? Good for him. Good for him. Yeah. But he was smart. Instead of directing it himself, he wanted to get somebody to direct him. That's like yourself. And, <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> and, uh, uh, right, he didn't swallow the cinema chip. No, no, exactly. Yeah, he didn't get it. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I said, you know what? Um, I, I believe in you and, and I want to work with you. I'm going to write something for you. Are you okay with that? And he said, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I said, Look, I can write something that works with your budget. And so that's it all started with that actor having the initiative and passion and drive to chase his dream. And and that sort of woke me up like, why, you know, come on, you've been doing short film and short film and those are fun and good. But come on, it's time for another feature. Get, yes. get back to the battle. Don't be afraid and let's do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because it's such a hard task when you have to do it, as you said, as an independent with limited resources, mm-hmm. you know, and that that's how it all started with, with Dustin. Oh, what a great way to do it. So then you did, did you come up with the actual idea of an agoraphobic in a house? Was that the plan? Yeah. Yeah, I came up with the idea. Um, was, it, I, was it mainly because you can shoot in one space a lot of the time? You keep it simple. It's one house. You know, it, it minimizes budget. That was half. That was the half of the uh, half of the genesis. I told him. I said, you know, you know, the common, common, common idea is that if you if you have a limited amount of money, if you do a horror film, you know, uh, then you could tell the story in one central location. And he said, no, I'm I'm not interested in doing a horror film. And I said, okay, no problem. Um, and and that's not. I, I can do it. And I certainly have sold a couple of horror scripts that have been produced. Uh, you know, Born is one of them, I think you mentioned. But I said, I'll, I'll, I'm going to write a drama with some comedy and I'll figure it out. And, I, and the first thing was, what do I want to write about? And, and I just thought, I, I really would like to tackle how all of us can fall into this funk of loneliness and depression. And just, I, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to leave my house. And 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 you just sort of get paralyzed by circumstances in your life. And then I thought, how could I dramatize that in a movie? Mm. And I thought about agoraphobia. And then I thought, oh, and then that also is going to have a practical uh, application to the producing end because I will be able to justify keeping my protagonist for most of the film or all of the film in one location. Perfect. So it served both story and it served my, my director's head and my producer's head. And he loved the idea and I wrote it and it was boring. And <laughs> I love the honesty. Yep. Yep. Say the word, brother. I yeah. said, we open up this movie and I need somebody to counterbalance you because you're, 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 you're not doing anything that an audience would 
You know, it's going to be very hard to engage them. I need something to counterbalance you. And that is where our alcoholic, female, feisty Marine, uh, Maggie, played by Linda Brzezinski, came into the picture. She also has been training as an actress with me for several years. Mm -hmm. And And who was also a Marine. She's a real Marine, mm. and uh, and uh, I didn't tell Dustin at the time who I was thinking of because I just wanted to cast her. Mm. I wrote. I, I also believed in her, but both of them are very unique and talented character actors, and it's hard as a character actor, I think, harder to to, to get a leading role in a feature film. Hollywood really. Um, really loves youth, beauty, and the amount of social media followers that you have mm. uh, and values that sometimes above talent and uniqueness. And, you know, they, 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 they want to make money and they want to have, yeah. have you get into your cookie, a cookie cutter mold that's going to have mass appeal. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that from a business perspective, but it's not what I'm what I want to do. Uh, and, uh, so anyway, I wanted this to be a vehicle for her as well. And I wrote it, he loved it. And I said, Hey, uh, we, a casting session, but would, how do you feel about Linda? Can we just cast her? Right. And he's, yeah, Linda's awesome. I, he, he worked with her in different classes of mine. He's like, yeah, let's do it. So that is that wonderful. I love that. I love that you kind of went, let's use other, uh, sort of um, working actors and actresses in the independent world and just go, yeah, let's to someone who's right for the role rather than going, well, actually we might be able to go get a, a name in this part. Um, that's great. It's great. And how did you get Laurie then? Cause Laurie Petty is sort of your, not your name as such, cause the film doesn't need names. The film speaks for itself and it's wonderful. But Laurie, Obviously, she's done Tank Girl, um, A League of Their Own, uh, Free Willy, you know. Um, she's in Gotham recently as well. She's, she's, you know, she's, she's a big actress. People know who she is. How did you yeah. go about getting her involved? One of, one of my best friends owns a award-winning uh, post-audio house. He's worked with James Cameron multiple times. and Fantastic. This guy helped me with Alvarez and Cruz. Uh, Alvarez and Cruz, we had a lot of people who just – we didn't have the money, but they just, I mean, we just had pennies, but they mm-hmm. believed in He became a good friend. He championed Alvarez and Cruz, as did my German uh, music composer who worked for free on Alvarez and Cruz and, and, and saw my film and wanted to score it. And I said, I don't have any money. And he's like, I don't care. Oh, we gotta that's get- great. So all these guys, all these guys have been like very supportive. And, and uh, David Kitchens, who owns Juniper Post Audio, um, he, I told him, Hey, I'm going to make another feature. And he wrote me a very long and passionate email. which <laughs> <laughs> said, Alex, you know, I, I love you. And, and I really admire the fact that you're about art and, and that you're, you know, you're putting the art first and all that. And he's like, but listen, you must put a recognizable name actor in this film or it's just going to be another uphill battle, you mm. know, as, as it was with your first feature. And he's like, you have to consider the business side of it. And, and you know, and he was just pleading with me as a good friend. And I wrote him back and he's like, I hope you don't take offense. And I was laughing. I wrote him back. I said, 
why would I be offended? You're trying to help me from choking on the tortilla chip. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so I took his advice and I talked to uh, uh, the other producer. There's three producers, Dustin, myself, and this wonderful Austrian filmmaker, Marcus Lineker. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. And, and Marcus said, yeah, no, David's right. David's right. And he's like, why, why don't we, why don't we try, hire somebody that we really like that, that we uh, influenced us with their films and, and he and he said, let's uh, let's get a let's get an actress um, from like the late '80s, early '90s, and and he threw out a couple of names, and Lori Petty was one of them. And I said, oh yeah, man, Lori Petty, that would be fun. Mm. And and I could see her owning a bar and and you know, kind of being a little bit of a badass. And and um, and so uh, yeah, Marcus was the one that came up with the idea for Lori Petty, and we contacted her uh, management and. She read the script and she loved it and said, yeah, I'll do it. Great. Let's oh, do it. See, that sounds so easy. That sounds like it was easy peasy. That's great. Yeah. Uh, but at this point, I suppose you, you have to have a bit of money behind it, knowing what you've got to pay her. How did you go about getting any kind of funds for it? That was hard to, a hard pill to swallow because now I have to take a considerable chunk of money from my budget to pay this actress Mm-hmm. Who I could, I could get it. Uh, 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 no, no offense to Lori, she is a very talented woman. But I could get another woman uh, of her same age and type who's equally talented for far less money. Of course, but, you could. Yes, you know, Lori brings. Lori brings. Uh, she legitimizes the film in the eyes of distributors and and people like that. And that's important, you know. As my friend has has forced me to realize that we, we must consider the business. Otherwise we're just making movies for ourselves to watch in the basement and with our yeah. family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we don't want that. We want to have it out in the world. And so, um, Lori, uh, yeah, that, that was, we had to pay a chunk of money there, but it, it's well worth it. And I always say, you know, when they complain about how much money, uh, Tom Cruise or Liam Neeson or whoever I'm saying, Hey man, that if I see Liam Neeson is in something, <laughs> I'm there opening weekend. Sure, exactly. That, gets bums on seats. That's what it's about. I can watch that guy, uh, you know, uh, uh, paint, paint, be a house painter for mm-hmm. two hours. I'm there, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that's what Laurie brings to the party, as well as her unique talent. Uh, and in terms of the actual money, then, how did you? Do, what did you do? Did you crowdfund or did you find private investors? So I wrote the script um, and I tried to I tried to write it with um, Dustin's budget in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know all the screenwriting books tell you don't do that. They say write the movie that you want to make and the money will come to you. You'll find it. My experience, I believe that. But the practical side of my brain says, how long is it going to take for that money to come to me? And when I write with a specific budget in mind, I find that I come up with creative ways to do things that cost less money out of necessity. Mm. So, so it could go that, that, that could, that pendulum can swing either way. That argument could, you know, it could be argued both ways. And so I wrote the script with his budget in mind, but he still didn't have enough money and I wasn't gonna, there's no way I could, I could write the movie to, to, to be done any cheaper. So now I became, he brought me in as a director and now I was an investor. This guy's pretty good, huh? Yeah, he's done well. He's done really well. 
Any actors that, out there, this is how to do it. <laughs> this is the formula. Get somebody to fall in love with the project and then, you know, they'll put their savings into it. So I became an investor and then we still didn't have enough money. And so we did crowdfunding on uh, Kickstarter to get the rest of the money. Okay. And then the, the movie was made. Wow. Actually, for Kickstarter, what I did was one year before the movie was shot, I shot a a, a scene <clears throat> a scene where um, the marine character tricks the agoraphobic character into getting into her car, and she's determined to drive him to a shopping mall and to help cure him of his agoraphobia, which is insane, and and he freaks out. And so we shot that driving scene where he is flipping out. <laughs> yeah. One year before the movie, so that I could, uh, on Kickstarter, instead of talking about the movie, I could talk about it in a video and say, here's one of the scenes that I shot as a camera test. But in actuality, it wasn't a camera test. I fully intended to cut that scene into the movie one year later, and then I'm saving money, but also helping raise money. Brilliant for my idea. Scene. Brilliant. And that is the is that the scene that's in the movie? Yes. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, I imagine Dustin hadn't cut his hair in between that time, which meant you'd have to shoot it again. <laughs> yeah, he, he complained. It's funny because he and and uh, Linda complained because Linda was in better shape for the movie and weighed less. So she, she wanted, you know, she wanted to look good, obviously in camera and she's supposed to be Marie and Dustin's hair wasn't the same length. It was long, but he said, my hair is slightly different color and it's longer. I said, trust me, no one is going to notice, but you and your mom, that's it. It's so true though. These little things that when you're on set, they mean so much to you. These little details, the hair in the wrong place, these, no one notices. When they're watching the film and the story's good and they're into it, they don't care. Um, okay, let's, let's get back to fear, love and agoraphobia a little bit because um, let's talk about the actual process of you making it and filming it. Um, what was that like for you to jump back into directing a feature film? It was fantastic and I had grown so much as, as a director because... Um, in the period of time that had passed from the first feature film, I had not only directed, uh, you know, some little cable commercials, but 10 short films, a web series, and I had created the cinema gym acting and directing studio in which I was not just coaching actors, but I'm, I'm, I'm working with my student directors and I myself am assigning myself a scene, you know, every week, every month that I'm directing, shooting, editing. And uh, that's the whole basis of the cinema gym is it's a place, um, you know, I, I was teaching directing at UCLA Extension and my student directors, I told them, you know, you need to get out there and you need to practice your craft because when you finally find a story and money, yep. you're, you're not going to remember all the muscle memory is gone of directing. And, and for me, I think it's equally as challenging to direct performance as it is camera. And in some cases harder because, you know, you have an instruction manual to a camera and you, you know, and you have a, a professional cinematographer who can, who can um, uh, help your vision as a director and improve upon it. 
but there's only one person that can talk to uh, actors who all come maybe from a different training background, mm -hmm. their experience level. Some of them think they are stars or were stars. And there's children who you have to sort of like act out what you want. And then mm -hmm. there's elderly people who whose memory fails them. There's so many challenges in directing both camera and performance. And if you don't practice that craft as actors practice their crafts in between projects, then that could be really, uh, that could lead to really a disastrous and disappointing project when you finally get your opportunity and five years has passed and you haven't directed anything. Yeah. So that, that decade of short films and teaching and, and also participating with my students, I'm an instructor, but I'm also participating with them mm -hmm. and I'm allowing them to judge my work and to criticize me. And that helped tremendously. So when I went to the feature, my second feature, it was comparatively, it was like easy. It was, it was like just so easy as far as directing camera and actors it was nothing wonderful yeah 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 no it's true I, I think it's so important to come from an acting background we talk about it quite a bit on the podcast where if you haven't come from an acting background and you're wanting to direct be a filmmaker is go do a course just go do a weekend course and see what it's like to be an actor and understand what they go through when they have to hit the mark and they stand in the right light and what's going through your mind or their mind because that's huge. Until you do it, you do not realize it's much more than just them hitting the mark and standing in the light. It's so much going on. And to be good at it and to, to, to not feel uncomfortable and to, to feel that they're, they're supposed to be there and they've got the part down, that comes from a great director really guiding them and molding them. And, and directors are scared of actors. And, and you definitely clearly aren't, you know. I prepare for the shoot as though it was a play. So uh, Dustin and, and Linda, the two lead actors in, in Fear, Love, and Agoraphobia, they were required and they were glad to have two and a half to three months of rehearsal with me. Oh, wow. And I said, we're not only going to rehearse this movie as though it were a, 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 a theater uh, production, we are going to rehearse it even quadruple and more of the amount of time than you would a play so that when when we're shooting, you 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 don't even have to come to you. You're going to ask me so few questions because in your script on every single scene, you're going to know exactly what we've discovered and mutually agreed upon as far as what your emotional life is, what your intention is, uh, what clothing you should be wearing to convey what your mood is at that moment. So rehearsal and that theatrical uh, tradition was. Uh, instrumental in being able to make my film in 15 days. That's amazing. I love the theatrical side. I come from a theatre background as well, and I think it's really important to do that. I found that actually there's not enough time, and I love that you've scheduled that in. I think it's so important. And what a luxury as well to have Dustin and Linda for that amount of time to rehearse with them and really work at the, the, the script and the project. So they were the characters. Um, that's wonderful. And, you know, if you're making an indie film and you can do that, oh God, yeah, I would 100% do that every time. All the other things that I had to deal with, oh, I'm losing this location. Oh, this light doesn't work. Oh, um, 
there's a pixelation or a, a dead cell issue with this camera. We have to stop. Yeah. All these things kept happening and happening and happening. But I'm like, oh, that's movie making. But the one thing I don't have to worry about is my actors. Mm -hmm. I've already taken care of that. And on, on the rare occasion that one of them came to me and said, I feel like we're moving through this really, really fast. And, and the, 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 the Dustin one said, hey, it seemed like you got a lot of coverage of my parents. And then we barely got any coverage of me. Like, I didn't really feel like I gave you my best. Is it really going to work? And I'm like, of course I gave you less coverage. You've been rehearsing like, the, like crazy. Like, I didn't need that many takes of you. You, mm -hmm. you are this guy. Yeah, you got it on take one. I just did another for safety. <laughs> it's like, exactly. yeah, we're okay. We didn't have a lot of money for um, for set design. In fact, none. Right, almost none. So, so I just tried to find locations that already had a look that seemed to fit the characters and the style of the film, and um, and that we could afford. And that's just the reality of of um, of uh, indie indie filmmaking when you're on a real modest budget. So now you've got your distributor. It's great. You can watch it on iTunes, Google Play, or Amazon, which is fantastic. People should go support and watch this wonderful, wonderful little quirky indie film. Uh, you should be very proud. You've made a really good film. Thank you very, very, very much. Yeah, very proud of Fear, Love, and Agoraphobia. Brilliant. Um, and where can people follow you on social media and follow the film itself? Uh, you can follow Fear, Love, and Agoraphobia or Alex DiLerma or both on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have a website uh, that has a lot of cool stuff on it for the movie. Uh, it's got um, podcast interview links. It's got reviews. Uh, it's got pictures it's, of all your cast. Got yeah, trailers, yeah. photos, yeah, screenings coming up and stuff. It's, it's a really yeah. cool website. And I'm hoping Giles will, will uh, give me a link to his podcast and his site, and we'll, we'll put it on there too. For sure. Yep, and it's called www.fearloveandagoraphobia.com. Perfect. Thank you very much for your time chatting with us. Really appreciate it. Uh, man, I wish we could grab grab a beer. Me too. Uh, I'd love that now. I'm in, if I'm in London, I'm going to be calling you. Yes, and me too if I'm in L.A. Please. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me at Giles Alderson on the Twitter or the Filmmakers Podcast, which is at Filmmakers Pod. Go to our previous podcasts and listen to them there at filmmakerspodcast.com. Alex, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Giles. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, all, all our podcast listeners. We really appreciate it. Do keep listening. Do keep supporting. Go to iTunes. Give us a nice little review. We'd love that. Until next time, which is next Tuesday, goodbye. This was a podcast from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.